Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Newbie Dentist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Omid Azami. In this week's episode, I sat down with an up-and-coming young dentist in the Netherlands, Dr. Martin de Beer. Martin is a very active member of the dental Instagram community, a columnist for Dentista Magazine, opinion leader for Coolzer, and is particularly interested in advanced restorative dentistry. He also runs a rubber dam course in Europe and is growing that as well. In this episode, we chat about the state of dentistry in the Netherlands, Martin's path through dental school and working as an associate, and of course, restorative and rubber dam dentistry. It is interviews like this that bring me back to the core value of why I started this podcast, the opportunity to speak with young dentists from around the world and give them the platform to share their experiences, struggles, and wins is such a privilege. So I hope you guys really enjoy this interview. This episode is brought to you by my good friends at Henry Shine Australia. With over 60,000 products available ranging from consumables, CAD CAM technology, large equipment, and courses and educational events, you can always rely on them to be your trusted business partner every step of the way. As always, if you are enjoying these interviews, please be sure to pass them along to your friends, classmates, and colleagues. I appreciate those of you who have taken the time to leave a rating and review on iTunes, as it does really help the podcast grow and get more exposure. If you haven't had the time to do so, please take a minute to head over to iTunes, give the show a five-star rating, and support the podcast. Without further delay, I hope you enjoy this interview with the Dental Dutchman, Dr. Martin De Beer. Hello, and welcome to the Newbie Dentist Podcast, the safe place for newbie dentists to connect, collaborate, learn, and grow. The Newbie Dentist Podcast aims to provide high-quality and high-value content for all the newbie dentists out there. With your host, Dr. Omid Azami. Okay, so I'm here with Dr. Martin De Beer, who's kindly agreed to give us his late Saturday night in Holland, in the Netherlands, to come on and talk some dentistry with us. He has the Dental Dutchman on Instagram, which is a super high quality page. He's just doing some amazing work with restorative, with rubber dam, and I'm always, you know, interested to talk to dentists from around the world. And I think that's one of the unique opportunities of the podcast is um, I get to reach out and get the opportunity to speak to young dentists and see what they're doing, see what dentistry is like in their part of the world. So, I, Martin, I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you for the invite. It's a really nice honor to be on your, on your podcast. Really nice. Thank you. So how we normally start these things is a bit of an origin story. So I'm interested in your story. Tell me, you know, why you decided to get into dentistry and then sort of where you went to dental school and what the early part of your career has been like. Yeah, I grew up with dentistry. My father is a dentist. In the early days, he had his practice at our home. So I was always in the clinic from when I was a baby. I was crawling around and every day after school, I was coming in and showing him what I did on school and stuff like that. But that wasn't my motivation to start dentistry because he is a dentist. I didn't want to be a dentist because people always say, okay, your father's a dentist, yeah. so you will probably be, be a dentist as well. So I yeah. was always looking at, at other uh, jobs and I wanted to do something creative. So I thought about ar architecture. I thought about ma many other, other things, but not dentistry. And when I got older, I was into healthcare and medicine. So I wanted to become a doctor. Our neighbor was a surgeon and I wanted to be a surgeon. And my father was really cool. Yeah. So when I was at the final year of high school, I said I shadowed him uh, in, the, in the hospital, saw some surgeries yeah. and, and stuff he did. That was really nice. But then when I got to talk to 
him and to friends of my father and my, and my, and my father also, uh, I saw a big difference between the hospital and when you are a dentist. When you're a dentist, you have a small clinic. You're most of the time you're your own boss or you have a big influence. While if you compare it to, yeah. to a hospital, the board members are more of economic guys, business guys. They only look at numbers. So if you want a special instrument yeah. that it's like 200 euros and more <laughs> expensive, they will just discard it and they say yeah. well do it with this because then our our operation will be cheaper so that was a big downside and everybody yeah. told me that and then in the summer i worked at my father's clinic at that time it wasn't at our home anymore it was a really nice modern clinic with eight with eight surgeries so that, that was really nice and i was his assistant for three weeks and then then i really fell in love with the job so i applied at the university we have a we had a system where you can get in by a lottery. So you have your grades. It depends on what your grades are. You get in a sort of category yeah. and you have a higher chance if you have higher grades to get drafted. And you had also another draft. You had to write a survey and you had to do some hands-on things. So when I did that, I had to do a wax up and I need to make a denture. So with, really? with wax, <laughs> I, need, I needed to make the gingiva and I needed to place denture teeth. This is to, to, to apply, apply for, for dental, dental school? Dental school. And it gave us a form and you had to do yeah. the stippling. <laughs> There's no way I would have got it. It was really cool. And I, and I was only practicing with looking in a mirror and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden I had to do yeah. a real assignment and something with, that was yeah. really nice. Well, I got in, in third place. So then I knew I was safe. So my, uh, my final exams mm -hmm. were, were easy. I was already in no stress, yeah, no stress. No stress. <laughs> and then um, I went to I went to Nijmegen with three universities in, in in Holland. One in Groningen, it's in the north. One in Amsterdam, and one in Nijmegen. Yeah. And at that time, I could only apply in Nijmegen through through this sort of drafting system. And it was also yeah. uh, at the time it was one of the best universities. So that was nice. Our education, our um, it's like six years. So we go to university for six years, and we. After three years, we are a bachelor, but we cannot do anything with it. And then after six years, three more additional years, you're a master. And then you then you yeah. graduate. Then you can do anything. I think that's the same in, in almost every country. You can do anything as long as yeah. you think you can do it. I think it's the same in, in Canada or Australia. Yeah, very similar. Yeah. So I think that's pretty cool because in, so in North America, in like Canada and the US, the dental is like a post-grad degree. So you have to go and do a bachelor degree first for like four years or three or four years. And then you get into dentistry, which is another four years. So it's generally like seven or eight years and you're a bit older when you graduate and stuff. So I think one of the benefits of like going from high school and in Australia to have that is kind of being transitioned out before pretty much all the programs were undergrad dentistry, like bachelor of dental surgery. So you'd go from high school into it, it'd be six or seven years and you're done. But now they're transitioning into like the more North American model. So you got to do your bachelor degree and then kind of apply to it. So, so that's what we had to do. And it was a bit... I see the benefit of your your way because you're you're quite young. You're like maybe twenty three or twenty four yeah, when you finish. I was just twenty four when I, when I graduated, so that that was really nice. Yeah, yeah. So it's good to finish early and get that opportunity to start working yeah. earlier and and get some more experience before you have to kind of have life things come yeah, up and, with. <laughs> yeah, uh, what so I especially really liked is uh, when you um, when you study medicine. So uh, when you want to become a doctor, you you in your books constantly so you don't see a patient until your third or fourth year well we started in the first week of, of dental school we started on the on the pre-clinic that's how we called it and then we had to do rubber dam and we learned stuff like that so it was right from the get-go we were doing practical stuff and not only from books but we were working with each other working with our hands and working on models expanding it to simple checkups and then in your second year you already start to see patients you're already doing checkups on on, on, on patients wow, so that's, that's really nice and that's what i really like that from day one you're working with your hands 
It's very hands-on. What was your what was your relationship with Rubber Dam at the start? I remember in, in our plea clinic, so we started in first year and we had a, like our, I think our first restorative was like occlusal class one and we had to put a rubber dam on. And I remember the night before this exam, like I'll never forget this. I was like sleeping and I had like a nightmare that I couldn't get the rubber dam on. So we only had like one hour. So I spent like 50 minutes trying to put the rubber dam on. So I woke up, I'm like sweating. I'm like, oh my God, this is gonna be like yeah. so stressful. But luckily it turned out, it turned out okay. But I obviously like now we do rubber dam a lot. So what was like, what was your relationship with rubber dam? Because I remember when I was in dental school, I was like, as soon as I finished dental school, I'm never doing rubber dam. Obviously, like things change a little bit. Yeah, same for me. Uh, I really, I really hated it, but it had also a lot, lot to do with teachers because we had to apply rubber dam. And we got limited resources, only a couple of clamps, and really, a really thin rubber dam. Yeah, and those plastic teeth are really hard to put a nice rubber dam on. So because in the mouth you have saliva, so it, it a bit. Yeah, it's, it's it's way better. And what we had to do, we had to place rubber dam, and then the teacher had his loops on. And he was pulling the rubber dam apart. And now oh, there's a tiny hole. Okay, you feel uh, stuff like that. And it's it's not fair. So we had to do rubber dam in the beginning. And then we had to try it on each other. And I, I like that, trying it on each other. But then I got into treating patients. And we had to apply it as well. I was always struggling with it. And I didn't really like it. And at university, especially in, in Nijmegen, at the, at the time I was there, there was a sort of a mentality that when you are in your third or your or a fourth year, you're good enough to work without. So if you once you treat patients and you don't use it, nobody says a thing about it. And if you compare it to the other universities in, in Holland, you have to do it. And if not, they will say to you, okay, you have to do it right now. And if not, and if not, then you then you won't make your year. You have you have to put your rubber dam on. Yeah. And in Nijmegen, it was like, okay, you're good enough right now. You don't you don't need it anymore. So yeah. after graduation, I didn't use it. I thought it was it was stupid, and I only used it for <laughs> endodontics. And then yeah. when I got when I treated more and more patients, yeah, I rediscovered it. I grew really fond of it, and now I get really nervous when I cannot use a rubber dam or a patient doesn't want me to. So right yeah. now, it's not even discussable. We work with rubber dam, and if not, I'm not the one to treat yeah. you. Then you should go to my colleague who who is happy <laughs> to do it without. But I don't feel happy about it. Yeah, it's tough. I feel the same way because once you start using it and then the odd time that you do without it, it's like the most miserable experience. Like you got the tongue everywhere, you got the cheek. Yeah. Like how do people work? Like it's like when, once you have your rubber dam, you got some good music, you're like relaxed, you can just do your work, focus on what you're doing. You're not worried about the other factors, which is like really cool. So when you finish up dental school, what's the, I know in like some parts of the world you have, like in England, for example, you have like the vocational training, you have to do like a one year like residency internship. What's it like in the Netherlands? Is there any no. like structured thing or once you graduate, you can just start working? No, you can just start working in dental school. And it's like they teach you to that if you graduate, you you know everything. You're the best in the world. You're God. Yeah. And you can, you, yeah. can start your, you can start your own clinic the day after graduation <laughs> and you will be fine. You can treat everything. Yeah. It's good that they do it that way because you don't want to get out there in the open world when they don't feel comfortable. So it's yeah. good that they do it, but your eyes will open once you start treating patients. You see things you didn't, you haven't seen before. You you get a colleague that tells you things. I didn't learn it in dental school and stuff like that. Yeah. What I did, I started with some. I don't know how to say it, some people that are on a maternity leave uh, or okay. like saying. locum. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It was it was only for short period just to see what I what I yeah. like. Then I started working in another clinic, and after a year or so, I went to the clinic, two clinics that I worked that I still work today, and they yeah. really opened my eyes for the reconstructive and restorative dentistry. And after that, my skill skyrocketed and it grew exponentially. And so, how long? When did you graduate? How long have you been working for now? Graduated in 2015 in the, in the summer in July. Okay. So I'm I graduated four years ago right now. And there was no plan 
chance to go work with your with your dad ever after graduating or we talked about it he had his clinic and he sold it because of back problems and he had, oh, okay. had surgery and stuff like that oh man and then he sold it yeah i can do it but we live apart and still it's holland so it's close yeah yeah i don't see it happen right now and it's a it's okay i mean we, we talk we talk on the phone every day about den- dentistry and it's okay if it, if it stays like this yeah that's right and you, you want to do your own thing too and have your own experiences yeah. so tell me a little bit about what dentistry is like over there in terms of you know private versus public are people just paying is it insurance based or people just pay cash for treatment what's the general kind of dental situation over there we don't have any organized practices so it's everybody is sort of private but we have fixed rates by the government so i can i can start my own company but i cannot set my own prices so Mm -hmm. it looks really like private because there's not a huge organization that says you need to do it like this or do it like that you can do it yeah. like you want to, but but the prices are fixed. And I heard Dutch conference last year that we are the only country with North Korea. I don't know if it's true. And has fixed <laughs> prices. So it yeah. says a lot. <laughs> and what we have is that the insurance company has a budget for you. So you pay like 10 euros a month and then you get 250 euros a year, something like that. Mm-hmm. If I do a filling or a checkup or an x-ray, it will go out of your budget, but not for 100%, probably 75 or 80%. So you always have a yeah. little bit for yourself but there's also a downside to it the upside is that people are having insurance so you can do stuff and yeah. it's okay but the downside is they say okay i have 250 euros a year and that's what <laughs> that's, i can spend yeah. so yeah i I always compare it to patients when there are multiple problems with having a car with four flat tires and a gearbox that that isn't working and the insurance company says okay you can now replace one tire and the other tire <laughs> you have to do next year I like that. That's really good. I might start using that. Yeah, it, it doesn't work. So sometimes you have to yeah. you have to do more. You have to do a root canal treatment and a crown. And if you compare that, a root canal treatment is like 600 euros. A crown could be like 600 euros. And you have 1,200 euros. Mm-hmm. But the highest insurance only goes up to 1,000. And they have to pay a lot every month. And then they have to pay a small bit for themselves, like 20%. So in the end, it, it will cost them money. And that's the downside of it, what I don't like. But yeah, I think there isn't a perfect system right now. Because today I read yeah. an article about the dentist in Belgium. They're having problems that people say they only want to want to, want to earn money and stuff like that. I can always hide behind the fact that our government makes the prices. But yeah. any discussions about pricing. Take it up with the government. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. That's what I say. But the downside is, is that if you're using high quality materials, then it's really hard to earn enough. Because if you if you look for simple clues of filling, it's like 40 euros. But you have an assistant, you have a you have an expensive room with a new chair, with a microscope, you use rubber dam, you use a high-end composite, uh, you have a front office, yeah. you have a back office, you have someone in the sterilization. That's it's hard. it's really hard. And I'm not my own boss, so I work on a percentage basis. So from that 40 euros, a percentage goes to me. Yeah. So if you look what what is left there for the practice owner, yeah. that's not a lot. So the system really, I don't say that what they what you see is that a lot of people do med- yeah mediocre is probably not good to work, but they rush their dentistry because of the cost. And if you want to like, deliver high quality dentistry, you have to put in your own money. Mm-hmm. Or you have to do something about about your pricing, but but you can't. So there's no way of charging more if you want to. No, no. Like you get penalized, or yeah, there's all, all. You can always talk to your patient and explain to them. And but if you do it, it's it's fraud. Yeah, because it's interesting. I, I I've done a few episodes with like Davey Allman, yeah. who's on Instagram. I'm sure you've seen his work. Because I'd ask him, I'm like, if you spend hour and a half, two hours to do one filling. 
like you have to charge a lot. There's no way you can charge 40 euros, for example, because then by the end of it, there's like nothing left. Yeah. So luckily, luckily for them in the US and luckily for us in Australia as well, you have some flexibility with your fees. If you, if you want, you can charge more for like a difficult extraction or a difficult endo. It's not set fees, which is really good. In Canada, we had a bit of both. We had like a, it was a suggested fee guide. So there was a suggestion of price but you could change it if you wanted. But then if you did, the insurance companies would tell the patient, oh, this dentist is like charging more than the fee. So it would look uh, bad. Yeah. So most people kind of did the, the suggestion, but yeah. um, I guess if you're doing like really high-end stuff, then, then yeah. it's different. So what about like cosmetic stuff? If people are doing like veneers and things, is there still prices for that or, or implants? Yeah, they are really expensive compared to what people get from their budget. So if you look at an implant, an implant is probably between 2,000 and 3,000 euros, depending on the case, what you need to do, if you need to do some crafts or stuff like that. And if you look at, at cosmetic dentistry, if I make a veneer or a crown, I charge the same. It's it's always a crown. It's a porcelain restoration. If it's 180 degrees yeah. or 360 degrees, I still have to do the same work. My technician has to do the same work. So yeah. that's the same for me. And that's one of the things that you can do in your price system because we have the difference between a veneer and a crown. For a crown, the, the fee is like 250 euros without rubber dam, anesthetics, x-rays, bonding. You can even charge for your bonding of your restoration. Also, oh, as a separate item yeah, for all yeah, those things, yeah. rubber dam and a yeah, okay. yeah, they're they're, so they're all separate. But if you look at a crown, it's like two hundred fifty euros. If you look at a veneer, it's like hundred euros. But sometimes a veneer okay. takes takes more time than a crown. Yeah. So I, and I think, more technique sensitive. Yeah, and if I explain to my patient, well, it's technically a crown, but only one hundred eighty degrees. But I still have to do the mm-hmm. same work, so I can charge a crown for that, and that's okay. That's one of the ways you can a little bit cheat the system if you want to. Yeah. But 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 if you do like from the upper canine to the upper canine, you have to do like six veneers or six hundred euros a piece. Yeah. Then people have to have to mm-hmm. have to have to pay that, and there's no insurance company that that will pay that for them. What's the attitude towards like cosmetic dentistry? Is there something that a lot of people do, or it's not as common as other parts of the world? It's getting more popular. We have some influences from the US and from the UK and Invisalign is getting more famous now people ask yeah. for the clear braces sometimes they even know it by name and okay. because the world is getting smaller through social media people are asking more about the aesthetics in the past it, it was just pain relief they have pain you extract it too if you do root canal treatment stuff like that and now it's becoming more cosmetic and, and more aesthetics so, so I see a shifting towards the that dentistry. yeah and what's it like because obviously like you were talking about before the interview you know the proximity of Europe, like you're like less than an hour away from like Germany by car. If you wanted to work in like neighboring countries, how does the license, can you work there or is a tough process to get your license? That's, that's possible because we're all in the, in the, in the European Union. So so I can go to another country. If I want to go to the U S or the same with you at when you went to Australia, you have to prove that you're clinically able to do dentistry. But if I want to go to Germany or, or Belgium, I can, I can do that. So that won't be any problem. And now a short ad break from our sponsor. Henry Schein 360 is a loyalty program like no other. Not only is it free to join, you can enjoy thousands of dollars of savings year after year. On average, a two-chair practice can save a minimum of $15,000 by taking advantage of monthly cash rebates, product discounts, and generous savings from program partners. If you aren't a member yet and you're looking to join, either contact your Henry Schein territory manager or send an email to shine360 at henryshine.com.au. That's shine360 at henryshine.com.au. Don't spend thousands of dollars every year on similar programs. Join Henry Shine 360 and watch your practice grow. 
Awesome. So let's uh, let's talk about your your work a little bit. Um, your average week. Obviously, on Instagram, you're doing a lot of like high end, like restorative work. So I'm curious, what was the learning curve? Did you do a lot of courses, or are you just kind of learning just by like watching other people and seeing their techniques? Have you done much like formal continuing education since graduating? Bit of both. I didn't do any master program or anything after university. What I did was a course in reconstructive dentistry. It was primarily theory, so it was talking about canine guidance about where how do we restore it how do we take a good analysis but it was only theoretical so yeah, uh, yeah you have to you have to still figure it out when the patient is in your chair i did a rubber dam course i've done some composite courses but most of it is just through self-learning uh, watching other people on instagram especially instagram really inspired me if i look back i'm on instagram yeah. a little bit over a year now and if i compare myself before instagram and and right now it's a whole different world the difference is, is insane and most of the people talk bad about instagram uh, you cannot learn anything but i find it really inspirational and yeah if i see you post something i think okay that that's nice okay and then i can start asking you questions probably you will you will answer them i can try it in my daily routine and then i see the result of it and that's what that's what really helped me getting better but also by taking photographs because I take yeah photographs. that's so good i have looked it has a 2.8 magnification and then i took a photo and, and with my loops it looked good and with my camera it looked <laughs> terrible I saw some bad yeah. margins and it was it was really terrible. So then the next time you start looking at those things and you take a picture and then you think, okay, what do I need to improve? And if you keep making photos, you, you keep getting better. And right now I try to do everything with a microscope because I can get the same amount of zoom that I have on my camera. So I, yeah. I don't have to see, see the end result afterwards. I can... I can still adjust when I'm working on the tubes. Yeah. What's the magnification on the microscope? I normally work between six to 10 times, but I can go up to wow. 20 to 30 times. <laughs> I don't really do that very often, sometimes with a hard outline of a crown prep or a veneer prep. And with a really high magnification, low speed, and just to define the margin. But that's rarely. Normally, I'm, I'm between six and 10 times now. And what's the learning curve for a microscope? Because it's it's so different to like having loops because it's like a fixed position, yeah. right? So you're doing more indirect. It's, and... it's really difficult. We all know how to work in the upper jaw with using mirrors. So, and I did a lot of endodontic treatments. When I graduated, I was really in endodontics. I worked in a clinic mm -hmm. where an endodontist was present. And I did about three to four root canal treatments one day a week for almost 10 months. So that really... Wow, that's that really, really helped me with the microscope skills, and we also have microscopes at university, so I was a little bit used yeah. to it. But still, it, it's really hard, and once you figure it out, it it gets easy really quick. But upper jaw is easy; the lower jaw, it's still so it's difficult. Tricky. So sometimes I, I yeah. still switch when I have to do a, a difficult restoration. I I switch. I just put my microscope aside, put my loops on. Yeah. But then the the downside is that the difference in magnification is too big. I go from eight times to 2.8 times. Yeah. yeah. You feel like you can't see anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah, I need to upgrade. I've been, I've been, I have like 3.5 and I've had it since like dental school. So I'm looking to get like maybe there's um like oroscoptic, they have like yeah. adjustable ones yeah. and it goes from like two and a half to yeah. five and a half. So I might get that one. I think that'd be pretty good. Let's talk about your restorative. Like what's your, like what bond are you using? What compasses? Like what's your go-to sort of like system for adhesive dentistry? Uh, if I get my bonds, I use SE bond almost all the times and I use OptiBond FL as well. 
of the Bonneville, I yeah. use a lot of times when I do doing indirect work. So for the immediate dentist ceiling, yeah, I use that. And when I do a direct restoration, I use the SE bond for composite. It differs from case to case because what I talked to you about about the, the pricing. In my clinic, we have cheap but good composite. It's not aesthetically pleasing. It's not really really easy to adapt. It's okay. If it, if yeah. it was bad, it, it wouldn't make all the regulations, but it's okay. Yeah. Since I have my Instagram, I'm lucky that I get a composite from different companies to test out. Oh, nice. So I have a, I have a huge stack of comp- composite. I'm a, a key opinion leader for culture right now. Yeah. So I have a lot of composite, uh, the Venus Pearl and the Venus Diamond. I have some Tokuyama composite. I tested the Omni Omnichroma. So I have a huge stockpile of that. I have some Asteria Estelite, I have some Shofu, some GC Essentia. So when I'm doing my bigger cases that I want to document, I want to put on Instagram or put in a magazine or stuff like that, I use my high-end composite, but it's my own composite. And I also yeah. buy my own material. So yeah, yeah I, cannot, I cannot do that for every patient. But for the cases that I really want to document, I use my own high-end composite. But yeah, yeah it, that's great. It, it's if I do, if I don't get it for free, it 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 will cost me money. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean that's one of the good things of the Instagram page, right? You've grown it to the point where you're having people approach you and say, oh, "Come test yeah. it out." And so it's it's cool to be in your in your local area, like be a in, in, like a key opinion leader and an yeah. influencer. And that's yeah. I mean that's just a that's a testament to hard work because, like you said, you've been doing it for a while. You've been putting in the time and and the energy to. It's not easy to take photos of your work for Instagram because you can take photos for like documentation. That's one thing, but yeah. when you're doing it for Instagram, it, it's a lot more work and you got to redo a lot of photos. Yeah. <laughs> and like you said, when you know it's a case for Instagram, like you do it with like a next level of like attention and you go much slower and <laughs> and it gets harder every time because you're, you're raising the bar on every case. You yeah. do. So you don't want to do three amazing cases and then come back with something that's yeah. mediocre. So keep raising the bar. So you're, yeah, your level, like, uh, yeah, your level expect- expectation gets higher and yeah, that can be really frustrating sometimes. Yeah, that's great. And I think that's a, the cool thing. I mean, one of the opportunities is, one of the, you said a lot of people talk bad about Instagram and there's a negatives to it, but I think the, the issue is a lot of people would see like your work and see some other, you know, the guys that we all follow and they think it's like easy or they can do it too, but they don't see the amount of work and the time and everything yeah. it takes in the background to develop these things and how many photos you took or how many cases you've done to like get to this point. So they have that expectation of, okay, I can do it too. And then they'll try and it doesn't look good and they get kind of disappointed. But yeah. I think, you know, the key to it, like you said, is approach it for like motivation and, and just see where it, around the world what the benchmark of like really good work is and then that can just give you a little bit of like a like a goal to aim for so it's like it's like watching like you said we're we're big soccer fans like watching like the top leagues and comparing it to like the local teams that play like on 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 the weekends and saying obviously it's a lot different so it takes a lot of there's a lot of work that it takes to get to that top point so what's your what's your like plans what's your plans for the next like five years with your career do you ever want to open your own practice or like is it tough to do financially with the with the fixed prices and everything what do you want to do with like lecturing and do you have any plans outside of dentistry as well I would love to have my own clinic sometimes, but uh, yeah, like you already said, it's difficult with all the expenses and the fixed rates. And right now I work at a percentage basis and it works for me. I don't have to buy everything if my assistant is ill or is pregnant. It's it's not my problem. So I really like that. So I can focus 100% on, on dentistry. And if I look at some friends of mine that are opening their own clinics right now, I see how much time goes into the management side of dentistry. So they have yeah. to quit one or two days being at the chair, but be in their office doing stuff like the administration, protocols. And I don't think I'm 
uh, I'm really ready for that yet. And if I want to open my own clinic, I want it to be a, a specialized clinic. But yeah. the downside here is that we have fixed prices. So if you're an endodontist or an implantologist or a periodontist, you don't get to charge extra. That's crazy. So yeah. that's crazy. So then the question is, what will it bring you if you open a, a clinic for some specialty? I don't. I don't think it 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 has a huge benefit if you compare it to other countries. If I go yeah. abroad and and open it there, I can have a whole different public. What I would love to do in the future is just three days of work at the chair, two days a week lecturing, giving courses, stuff like that. That will be my absolute dream. See a lot of the world, go to really nice places, meet fantastic new people. So that's what I really want to do. And this year I will be at some Dutch conferences doing some lectures. And I'm oh great. And I started my own rubber dam course and I'm rolling it out right now. So that's going really well and going to do a small composite course on Omnichroma composite. So yeah, it's, it's getting, it's getting started right now. So we'll, yeah. we'll see what it will bring me in the, in the future. I don't know right now. And outside of dentistry, don't really know yet. Just see how one thing at a time. So composite. So these are like in person or are you, are you doing like online content, like creating videos and people can watch it? Yeah, I get a lot of uh, I get I get asked a lot of questions about it, but I don't really believe in online course. It's nice for the theoretical part, but if I want to teach you to do a good rubber dam, you you need to practice it. And I can tell you to to use a floss tie to invert, but if you have to do it on Monday on on a patient, it's a whole different situation. And when you can yeah. do it on a Saturday and you have an hour just to do the one floss tie. So I really believe in the power of hands-on courses. If I go to a course, most of the courses I do are abroad because in Holland, it's a, yeah, we have the same courses and they're running for 10 years now. So they're a bit outdated. Yeah. And I, I always go to hands-on courses. I'm not... Okay, I'm, I'm not, that's a good tip. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of conferences because people are, most of the times they're showing what they do and they show their top cases. And I don't say they're yeah. show, showing off, but... The percentage of stuff you can apply on Monday in your own clinic is is really low. And if you go to a hands-on yeah. clinic, the purpose of it is that you can do it the next day. So I really believe yeah. in that to improve your own skills because I can tell That's you how to, how, to, how to do a perfect anterior implant with some grafts and temporary crowns and stuff like that. But if you want to do it on Monday, you have no clue how to, how to do it and achieve that goal. Yeah, like you said, you have to do the hands-on component to actually make it practical. Yeah. If you, you can always read a textbook if you otherwise and yeah. Yeah. get the same didactics. Yeah, you, yeah, you have the same on Instagram. So Instagram is like your online course. Yeah. yeah. You can use Instagram for that. And at a composite course is something I, I do by myself. I have a company that is willing to sponsor me. And the composite course is through different companies that want to do something with composite and they hire me to do a composite course so that's and nice yeah. and yeah. maybe i want to do that one day for myself but right now it's okay i'm i have my hands full on my own course so yeah that's awesome and you said you know in in where you are in, in the netherlands the courses are the same old like five or six dentists probably doing the same courses for a long time so it's due for like some you know fresh blood to come in and, and have a you know a fresh perspective and and talk about rubber dam and composite so um i'm sure you'll you'll do really well in that in the next couple of years i'm excited to see like your growth and your trajectory and everything so keep up the good work with that with um to kind of wrap up, we normally do a bit of like a rapid fire just to make things a little bit fun. So uh, what's your what's your favorite pizza topping? Uh, quattro formaggi, four cheeses. Four cheeses. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite band or artist? 
Oh, that's a different. That's a difficult question. Um, it. Uh, I like everything as as long as it's it's nice music. I can listen to the Foo Fighters, but I can also listen to Ed Sheeran. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it it depends. Yeah, depends. What do you What do you listen to at work? Uh, normally just radio. Radio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some some uh, uh, non-stop hit station. Uh, yeah. Only music. No, no talking. Only music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what's your favorite tooth to work on? The upper first molar. Upper first molar? Yeah. On the right or left side? <laughs> one six or two six? Uh, the one six for me, I'm left-handed and I find the one Oh, six. you're left-handed? Yeah. No way, I'm left-handed too. <laughs> oh, really? Nice, yeah. And I find yeah, it, I find it's a challenge, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's easier yeah. also with the assistant. Um, so I, I think the one six is my favorite. Yeah, I think, okay, you're my new uh, left-handed role model. Yeah. I have to see your work and be like, if you can do it, I can do it too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what's your what's your favorite uh, Instagram account to follow and like learn from? Oh, that's a difficult question. Uh, well, so, what, what's always a huge inspiration for me is, is Thomas Tai's account. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you, if you know him. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the restorative work he does, is it's insane. It's always a challenge to yeah. see where the composite is. And it's a huge inspiration. And I hope to reach that level someday. Uh, so yeah, if I wanna if I wanna get the inspiration, I, I look at I, I look at that that account. But there are so many accounts and everybody is, is good at what they do. And so it's really hard to, to give only one. I could give make a top hundred and and still uh, okay give me give me your like top top five if you have a few oh, other ones you want to mention <laughs> well, I will, I'll get I will get my phone and I can see yeah. the, uh, which one I, I look at very often yeah. um, let's see I really like Maxime Belograd you know him oh yeah, yeah uh, great work. I went to his course he, he does a, he does a lot of nice uh, practical tips on how to do uh, veneer preps it's mostly on typodons and 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 not on real tip, but but still it's yeah. really nice i like minish patel because of the photography oh he's great yeah. really creative really cool yeah it's really cool i like uh miguel ortiz because all of uh do you know him it's a prosthodontist from boston no i don't know okay yeah, i will i will send you the link later uh, yeah, yeah, I'll um, post that up. he has a lot of he, he talks a lot about prosthodontics so that's that's really nice um yeah Davey Davey Ullman and Matt Najab yeah yeah it's so nice and uh, how many do I have now four or five (laughs) (laughs) give me one more if you want (laughs) one more okay let's have a look um yeah and what I which account I really love is the account of of Johan Choi you already uh, interviewed him yeah his online preps they're such an inspiration. Yeah, good work. I, I, have yeah. the, I, I have the idea that I always see the same post, but then I look at his account and they're all, <laughs> they're all different. But, but they're like so perfect smooth. every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. insane. It's insane. Yeah, yeah, those guys are doing pretty cool yeah. work. Awesome. So, what's uh, the last one? Is if you weren't doing dentistry, what career would you be in? Probably would be an architect or something, something with, uh, um, or something with media and uh, making, uh, making cool videos and stuff like that. Awesome. Martin, thanks a lot for coming on. It was, uh, it was really cool to have the opportunity to chat with you and see what dentistry is like in your part of the world and, and the challenges and the, the, all the good things going on and all the great work you're doing. So I'll definitely uh, put a link to your Instagram in the show notes for anyone listening who's not familiar with it. And I'm excited to see you know, your courses and, and seeing how your, like, your educating career kind of takes off over the next few years as well. I think there's a lot of opportunity for sure. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you.